Welcome to Tea for Two, the podcast for women in golf and the men who support them. With your host, Karen Harding. Welcome. Our guest today is someone for whom golf has shown itself to be something other than just a game. Nikki McClure grew up surrounded by golfers, but initially had little interest in playing the game. In itself, this is not an uncommon story, but what is of interest is why and how that changed. It was golf that helped bring her out of a very dark place in her life and then buoyed her as she created a space of light for other women entering the game. From reluctant golfer to beginner rebuilding her life to entrepreneur in female engagement to board member of Golf Victoria to women's captain at Kingston Heath to the first female club president at this prestigious Sandbelt Club in its 113-year history. Nikki has approached it all with a commitment to women's golf combined with positive attitude and a sense of fun. Today she shares with us both the tremulous steps and the giant leaps forward. Nikki, hello. Hello, Karen. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here, Nikki. Now, Nikki, like a lot of people, you were born into a family of apparently crazy and obsessed people with you, not a golfer, seemingly the only sane one in the group. Tell us a little bit about your family's involvement in golf and your own perception of it as a young person. Well, yes, you could say they are all avid and competitive human beings in my family and um, we get that from Yeah, probably my mother. (laughs) She is a uh, competitive beast and mum was a tennis player, avid tennis player and dad. They both were very sporty. Us kids were all into sport. And then we moved to Kew and a couple of her girlfriends were playing golf down at Kew Golf Club. So I remember many mornings, she'll probably kill me for telling you this, but it's very funny. (laughs) We had a gym called the Winning Edge down at Baldwin in Deep Dean and mum would be home and we were all off to school and she'd have her dressing gown on. But I knew underneath that dressing gown was a golf outfit. (laughs) And we'd all head off to school and dad would go to work and she'd whip the dressing gown off. She'd be in the car down for nine holes with her girlfriends at Kew. And that is how her journey began in golf. Dad has played for years before that. And yeah, mum later in her mid-40s got into the game, similar to how I started. But Not in my dressing gown, no. (laughs) What were the sports that you played because you weren't playing golf? What were you playing and what was the attraction of those compared to what you thought golf offered? Well, I think it all came from school and girls' sports, but I played tennis and athletics. I was a big fan of athletics and the competition around athletics. So that was was driven by my, my passion just to you know, integrate boys and girls running around. I loved running. I just enjoyed the fact that I felt free down at Stradbroke Park at Kew. I used to get myself down there. I played netball as well. So I was quite busy with school sport. My brother was similar. And then my younger sister getting onto the other family members, Simone, wasn't that sporty and wasn't into all the sports we were. And and she played the piano and musical and I think one day mum just thought to herself, I'm going to take Sim down to Kew and she started working in the pro shop and she got into the game when she was 14 years old by 
cleaning members' clubs down at Kew and, and Lindsay Gitchum said to her, well, why don't you have a couple of lessons with me? And that was that was it. She went on the Golf Victoria camps down at Anglesey. Yeah, so that's how Simone got really engaged into, into the game and, and then she ended up playing competitively around the world, played in the uh, British Amateur, won the South Australian Open. She did many things. Mm. Oh, Simone was a, a top player. Well, she remains a top player, doesn't she, really? In the early 2000s, things were rolling along on a happy plane for you, weren't they? With you by now the active mum to three beautiful young children and leading a busy life. But in 2003, you suffered profound personal tragedy, losing your 13-week-old daughter Alana to SIDS. It's hard for us to imagine or even want to imagine how dark a place that must have been. Whose were the hands that helped you fight your way out of that place and how were you able to get yourself going again? Well, when I think back now, I remember waking every day uh, and it was pretty dark, yeah, as you say, and the SIDS organisation had some counselling sessions. So I'll be honest with you, I went along to a couple of them and there were some women there who had lost their child many, many, many years before me but still going to this centre and being together, which was a great support for them. But it really made me realise, oh, I don't want to be this person. I, I am grieving but I know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And so that was a real sign for me that I got that message through this experience that I'd had there And then I wanted to be the best mother I could be to my other two children who were healthy and and happy and starting prep and and kindergarten. And so my mother was the instigator of getting me to the golf course. I was late 30s and she could see my pain. She could see that I I had nowhere to, to turn and I was getting all the help that I needed, but I just needed something else to really distract me. And she said, let's get you going down to the golf course. We signed me up at Ivanhoe. I uh, started going there every Wednesday morning and it was my saviour. Like these women that just embraced me. They didn't know my story. I just turned up to learn the game and and, um, I would have the clinics and then ended up playing there for a year and they taught me literally everything I needed to know. And then mum signed me up at Kingston Heath with her girlfriends and I've been there ever since, yes. So it's been a journey through losing Alana. But it's funny when you when you have such loss and, and, and a tragic experience such as that, somewhere along the line you actually want to share your grief and share that, oh, there is a way out. And what I saw through those women, which was really sad, was they hadn't been given that that second chance to get out of their grief. They were still grieving after 30, 40 years and I really felt sad for them. And so at the end of the day, I, I was determined to embrace Alana but at the same time continue on living with my other two children. So golf has just been the most, I'm, I know things around it have also helped but it's just been the most incredible mental health experience. I'm going back now, I can talk about it now and say, um, I don't know what I would have done without it, to be honest. So it really, that, that's the message that I want to share through my experience back then. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, can, it can make such an incredible difference to your life. That's one of the beauties, I think, of golf. 
We talk many times about the physical uh, benefits of it, but there are mental health benefits. And there are people who are suffering different kinds of tragedy or trauma or illness in their lives. And for them, golf can really make a big difference, can't it? Absolutely. Iona Stevens does a lot of interviews with some top sports athletes over in England and she did a series for the RNA and she was interviewing male athletes who had finished their game or sport that they'd been playing and it was just so interesting to see these adult men who are just struggling after success and sacrificing their life to the sport and the industry that they played in but now are spiralling because they have nothing else. And so they'd started the game and and Iona has interviewed them. And it's just so interesting to see and hear how golf in so many certain ways can uh, affect your mental health. People have demons and, you know, golf can be such an outlet for so many people. In 2017, so some nine years after you started at the Heath, you developed the concept that became Fairway Birdies. How did that come into being, Nikki? Well, yes, as, you, as your word, which I love, the encourager, she was 17 years old and she, uh, we were driving back in the car from being away for the weekend and, and this is my daughter, Hannah, and she said, Mum, I think you should start your own website on golf. And I said, really? She said, yep, you should, we'll, we'll start a website, we'll do uh, Instagram, Facebook, and you can write stories and encourage your friends to start the game. And I, and I said, oh, oh, no, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. No, what are you talking about? She said, yes, you were doing it. We're doing it. I'm like, okay, right, okay. So we got home and within an hour we had a Facebook, Instagram and website set up and I just literally started writing articles on why I started playing the game. And week after week I'd <laughs> write these articles on the reason for playing, how it's affected my life, fashion. I think we even did one on lycra, golf and lycra and activewear, uh, what's appropriate, what's not. But we had a lot of fun with it and then my girlfriends started sharing it on Facebook. So it got legs and it ran and, and I was literally just encouraging women. It wasn't a revenue-based idea. I was just posting photos and I think everybody thought I was on a golf course, you know, every single day of the week because I'd pull these photos out and I'd get messages, are you playing golf again? But, yes, it just grew and grew and then the girls started sending me messages saying, how do I start, where do I go, where do I go? And then it became, became random and I, uh, I was getting messages from New South Wales and Queensland, do you do it up here? And Anyway, it just, it just really, it, it got momentum. And, um, and then I went to Yarra Bend, found Aaron and James over there and they set up an all-women's clinic because I believe that to engage women in the game, they needed to have a friend to do it with, but they didn't need to bring a friend. They needed to turn up and be in a community of like-minded women the same interests, um, which is just learning the game, feeling... <laughs> intimidated, embarrassed and having a hilarious time together. That, that was the way to conquer the intimidation factor of just learning something in front of people. So, yeah, we started over there and oh, we were there for about 15, 18 months putting on clinics, 
but we just needed the next step and that was to get them out on course. And the next step was finding Erica Lightheart, my girlfriend who I'd met through the golf industry. And we started organising our fairway birdie clinics at public facilities throughout Melbourne. But that's still going. 28 women attended the first clinic, I believe. How many women have now been through fairway birdies since it first started? I would say over 500, five, 500. Mm. That's terrific. And a lot of return, you know, a couple of years later, they'll come back and do more clinics. But it highlights the next step for women in golf. It's okay and it's great to offer all these learning opportunities, but we really have to get them out on course. We, we really need mentors, spokespersons, people to embrace beginners, to get them out on course because it's the only way we're going to take that next step is by people accepting more and more women who are starting game to get out on course. Mm. Fairway Birdies has since influenced other female engagement programs to start up, but it also created some movement in your own life. When did you become a director of the board of Golf Victoria and what does that role entail? Yes, well, I Fairway Birdies did introduce me to a lot of industry people uh, and leaders in their in the industry. So I met up with uh, Stephen Spargo and Jill, his wife. They're both intrinsically involved on the boards of Golf Victoria and Golf Australia. And Fairway Birdies had sparked an interest in them, so uh, we we caught up. And over time, we discussed women's golf, women and girls' participation, the 2025 vision, and I had a real interest in that and and the pillars that they were driving women's golf through. Uh, Stephen reached out and I became a nomination for the Board of Golf Victoria. And then I started in 2020, but I was I was more intrinsically involved as a in women's golf and also club life. I've been working with the team at Golf Australia with their new strategy that they currently have just finished and are implementing into the Australian market. So I've been able to bring a bit of diversity to the head of female engagement, Tiffany Cherry. We've got together a few times and had some great conversations around how to engage women in golf. You then added the role of women's captain at Kingston Heath in late 2019 So your involvement in golf was now deepening quite a bit. What were you initially planning to achieve with your tenure and what were you able to achieve once the pandemic hit, not long after you started in that role? At the time when I came in, the women's category or membership was very small. We were at 18%, if not lower. And we all knew each other very well. And it was fantastic. It was a great way to be included and, and made, made it easy to make a lot of friends at the club. But as I became aware of the lack of women my age, the lack of women that were able to take the, the club and the, the life of the women at Kingston Heath into the future... I could see that the membership side of the women's category at Kingston Heath needed to be developed. And there are many things you can do and put your hands on when you become women's captain. But I thought at the end of the day, the experience that I'd had with Fairway Birdies and the programs that we put together, I really wanted to make an impression on 
developing an initiative and a program to get more women into Kingston Heath and to, to offer opportunities for our existing members, meaning all members, both genders, to introduce their daughters, their wives, their partners, their girlfriends, their female friends into the club. And as history knows, many, many golf clubs are private ones. You have a, a process which is proposer, seconder, three referees, and, and, you know, you need many years attached to that. So it was just more and more difficult as the demographic of females in the club got older. We weren't seeing, we weren't seeing retention. We weren't seeing new female members being proposed. So our fabulous captain, Matthew McKenna, he we, through strategy um, and planning, we developed a program and I got the full support of the board and we went ahead with it. And so I focused a lot of my energy as women's captain on this initiative. The committees before my time had also discussed this planning as well. They really wanted to implement something. I just happened to be the lucky one with a board that was very supportive of it and I was able to facilitate it. And so the initiative began and now we're just finishing our third year and we've taken over 50 new female members and it's been a huge success and we're extremely delighted with it and we've set ourselves up for a very bright future at Kingston Heath and we'll still continue to develop it and it will become part of our membership strategy at the Heath for future years. I presume that the needle on participation rates has increased with that program, has it? Yes, it has. What are you up to now? We were at 28, so I would say we'd be close to around 33%. Really? That's fantastic. That is fantastic, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Uh, I hope I can say that <laughs> it's one of the most successful uh, initiatives that Heath has uh, has instigated for quite some time. Mm. Oh, well, all kudos to everybody involved because that is a phenomenal improvement. Uh, Nikki, earlier this year you completed your tenure as the women's captain and moved almost immediately into the position of president of Kingston Heath. In doing so, you became the first female to be club president in the club's 113-year history. Does the significance of that resonate with you or does it just feel like an extension of what you've been doing? It resonates with me, the importance and the honour of the role. But to be honest, I'm just the same person. I don't see myself any different to actually being a member in 2008. So, yeah, I don't see myself any different to anyone else. But I just love the fact that the club have embraced their first female president. I think it was a bit of a long time coming, and but it, you know, it, the when the time is right, it just works. I think the club is so they're proud of themselves. Everybody in there is totally embracing it and and really happy with the move that we've made. And it sets us up for you know years and years to come. Mm. And as an example, with the leaders, um, the presidents and the captains around the country, we just need to keep telling the stories. The first woman to be elected president at a Sandbelt Club was Alison Holden at Huntingdale back in 2002, some 20 years ago. And before that, Joan McCafferty was elected club captain at Keysborough way back in 1996, doing such a good job, by the way, that she was returned for eight successive years. 
Since then, there's been a growing number of women taking on significant roles in both metropolitan and regional clubs. But there is a bit of homework in that as these opportunities have been increasing, unfortunately, they've coincided with a drop in the number of women playing the game and therefore creating candidates for board and leadership roles. What is the way through this in your eyes? Is it just engagement or is something else needed? So look at the Heath Gateway program. 50 new female members who have dropped the age by 10, 15 years, they're able to see someone like myself in this role, Mm. then they can see that they can do it. I'm only encouraging, being in the position I am, I'm only encouraging the next female to come through into that position or just over time, the next women's captain, the next captain. So I suppose as leaders of the industry, in the industry, we just need to keep not preaching but, you know, um, showcasing that we are in these positions. When uh, my tenure began as the president of Kingston Heath, I had many people reach out to me and one of them was Dr Deb Kemba from the Brisbane Golf Club and she was coming in as their president and we've had a group of women come together now from Long Reef, Royal Queensland, Glenelg, Indrapoli, The Grange. So we've started our own women's leadership network group and we are welcoming many more women from around the nation, around the country to join us because we are out there. We just need opportunities such as yours and Golf Australia who are really supporting our stories, individual stories, to share the growth. We just need to educate people that we are moving on and we're modernising the game, we're modernising the leaders in the game and moving in the right direction. Along similar lines, just in the last few years, we have seen an increase in some areas significant in women in all areas of the golf industry. Are we yet doing enough and what do we need to focus on to drive this further? As a member of um, Golf Victoria, I also have sat on the panel for sports funding for golf and uh, through the Sport and Recreation of Victoria. And uh, a lot of the candidates that were coming in were asking funding for educational purposes around uh, turf management, ground staff, also the architectural side of golf and high performance, but also general managers. So there are so many other opportunities within the industry for women to get involved. And a lot of these uh, associations uh, are putting together new pathways for women to get involved and also funding it. So not only is golf about learning the game and being a golfer, for women there are ample opportunities to get involved. You can do sports management degrees at Deakin and many other universities around Melbourne. So, you know, I highly encourage younger girls coming through out of uni doing sports management degrees to investigate and, and, and take an interest in this area because it is, a growing, it is a growing industry and there are many opportunities for women to get involved. Mm, it's just wonderful, isn't it? Now, we've both used the word encourager 
And you, and we do like that expression, don't we? How important is it for women starting to play golf to have that encouragement and that positive force helping them to push through some of the unseen or even over-imagined challenges? Oh, without a doubt. It's the key. It's the number one. It's all about the narrative, really. When your kids are growing up, we're always encouraging them to, to have fun and and do your best and your best is is better than anything. So we're all the same humans. We all uh, strive to be encouraged to do something. We all love to be made to feel welcome and encouraged that your best is good enough. So it's all around the narrative and being having a positive mindset about encouraging females to have a go, to be part of the community. Aside from your mum and family helping you start out, did you have any mentors yourself guiding you or encouragers as you took your journey into golf a little deeper? Yeah, sure, definitely. Even when I talk about the existing golfers around me when I was a beginner and they, some of the women I met and, and men I met were always embracing beginners and women getting into the game. So, yeah, I've, I've definitely had a lot of inspirational people in my life that have driven me to be as good as them. I've played with many pennant women, pe- uh, women that played pennant, my sister, my mother, my father, <laughs> yourself. Yeah, I, it's, it's just the same. I just, you, every, everybody that has embraced the journey has been an encourager. We spoke earlier about your being the first female club president in the history of Kingston Heath. The club is adding to its history later this year when it co-hosts, alongside Victoria Golf Club, the Men's and Women's Australian Open Championships, which are being run concurrently for the first time. How do you, as the club president, feel about your club being part of history being made? Absolutely honoured. What a brilliant what a brilliant uh, initiative and I've frequented the uh, Vic Open many times and I just love it. So, yes, no, the, the club is extremely proud and we can't wait to help showcase this event and we've, we've got some great names coming. But, no, we're very proud, very proud. How are the preparations going so far, Nikki? Yeah, very good. Um, our general manager, Andrew Taylor, is uh, on top of it all. As usual, there's a great team at the Heath and coordinating with GA and uh, Victoria has been, well, I mean, you know, I just sit behind the scenes and watch it all happen. (laughs) But it seems seamless. (laughs) What are you looking forward to most about the Australian Opens this year? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing um, the two uh, clubs working together and um, showcasing our extremely important and valuable assets, which is our uh, championship courses. And uh, very jealous of all the players <laughs> because they're, they're in for a treat. And also the, the combination of the three being all abilities, men and women's, um, it's just going to be a fantastic opportunity to embrace the game um, for all and um, looking forward to um, hosting spectators and players at the Heath um, and, and we've, we've really worked hard around making sure it's going to be a very successful tournament. Well, as you say, there's already some terrific names that have been announced and there's some more to follow. So it should be 
a wonderful Australian Open this year, as it is every year, really. Nikki, it's been fantastic talking with you today about your journey in golf. Your story is a great example of how golf can not only build lives around the game, but in many instances, rebuild or even transform them. What you've achieved and helped other women achieve in the last five years in particular is just outstanding. We're really grateful to you for sharing your experiences with us today. So thank you for that. And we wish you well as you continue forwards in golf. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I always love talking to you about golf. It's just, we could go on forever. So I really do appreciate it. And congratulations on your podcast. Uh, You are doing a fabulous job. Oh, thank you, Nikki. That's lovely. It's been great talking with you. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Nikki today as much as I have. Women supporting other women to make their way in golf is essential. It's been said that you can't be what you can't see. But with more and more women entering not just the game, but significant leadership roles within it, we are increasingly providing opportunities for women to follow and creating a culture where women can feel supported in the game's decisions. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let fellow golfers know we're here, either by word of mouth, sharing a link, or leaving a favourable rating or review. The more people who come to the show, the more visible we can make the stories of women in golf and of the men who support them. If you'd like to have new episodes delivered completely free of charge to your phone as soon as they're available, you can hit the subscribe button next to the T for Two podcast on your phone podcast app. And if you have any questions or have someone in mind whose story you think might be interesting, please feel free to shoot me an email at hello at tfor2.com. Tifa 2 is produced on the traditional country of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria and offers respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you for our next Tea Time together. Our next guest is also someone whose story you will enjoy, so look out for that one. Until then, have fun in golf. Thanks for listening to Tea for Two. To check out other episodes and to keep up to date with what's happening in women's golf, please head over to tfor2.com.au.